Chapter 25 Rack Tonos was in chains. A set of manacles bound his wrists no more than a foot apart, and a second set similarly constrained his ankles. The chains and the manacles were gathered together at his midsection, where another, longer chain, secured the entire collection to a large iron ring in the floor. He could not stand up fully, much less more comfortably, not that there was much room to move in or places to go if he could. The room was without furniture, save for a single stool, a grate above, allowed in some diffuse light on an irregular schedule, and another grate in the floor carried away waste. A single iron door with a shutter was set along one wall. A human skull leered in the corner, the remains of a previous occupant. Other than that, nothing. Nothing but him and his chains. A pity, really, thought Thanos, because the war had been going so well up to that point. Misha had spread himself too thin, and the combined kingdoms of Argive and Corlys took advantage of the weakness. Misha managed to hold the northern passes well enough, but the defenses in Iodia were threadbare at best. Raiding from the combined kingdoms intensified, until finally a group of Corlysian volunteers were trapped in Iodia and massacred. The martyrs of Corlys were noteworthy for both their youth and the fact that they were not in the pay of anyone else. Instead, they were true patriots of their nation, the sons and daughters of merchant lords. Their slaughter electrified the southern of the two united countries, and demands rang out to the combined king to take action immediately. It happened as Taunus had predicted, before Urza was ready, but later than Taunus himself had anticipated, the Lord Protector had sufficient manpower to throw his machinery south without seriously depleting the northern passes. With most of Misha's forces heading west to Sarenth, no one expected a strike against Argive. There were strikes, of course, but they were badly planned and hastily launched and dealt with by the forces at hand. Instead, a full army of Argivians and newly patriotic Corlysians headed south and west, backed by ornithopters, Yodian soldiers, a variety of Avengers, including the new Sentinel model, Triskelians, and a four-part flying creature called a Tetravus. The legion spilled over the borders and into occupied Yodia. The Falashi garrisons were not enough to hold the borders, but sufficient to offer more than token resistance and prevent a quick campaign. The Falashi began a regular retreat over the next year, withdrawing from one province to strike in another. They burned the territories to which they never intended to return. By the fall of the first year, the areas south of the wreckage of Krug were freed from the Falaji rulership, if not their raids. This included Jorlin and the other coastal cities. By the end of the next year, the Falaji had been driven from most of Yodia, with the exception of the Transmardan provinces and the Sword Marches. Seven enemy dragon engines had been destroyed in the process in pitched battles that tested Urza's machines to the utmost. The land was wrecked by the despoiling Falaji in the Wars of Liberation, but it was retaken at last. Taunus rode to cheers at the head of the army through the streets of recovered towns, to hard eyes as well from those who had suffered under the Falaji and wonder what their former queen was doing, safe and secure in Penrigan. They got their answer soon enough. Yodia was incorporated into the combined kingdoms of Corlys and Argive without so much as asking the newly freed people. The queen would not return, and Yodia would be a vassal state for the unified kingdoms. After more than 10 years of war, Yodia had traded one master for another. Taunus understood this at the time. He knew it was the only way to convince the Argivian nobles and Corlysian merchant lords to help mend the shattered landscape and feed a population whose fields had been burned by the retreating Falaji. But the part of him that was Yodian did not like it, and it was clear others felt the same way. There was a similar reaction to the Lord Protector's next decision. The people assumed that Urza would clear out the rest of the provinces, restoring a complete Yodia. Instead, he eschewed retaking the sword marches of his father-in-law. The army massed for an assault across the Mardan, making for Tomakul itself. The Yodians muttered and talked about the Corlys merchants, and how the Corlysians lusted to regain their protected trade routes to beyond Tomakul. 
Tonos knew better. Misha had apparently made Tomoko his base of operations, and Urza was coming for his brother. The procedure was slow, methodical, and utterly relentless. The advance was held at 30 miles a day, though some of the automatons could travel farther than that. At every night stop, one of Urza's towers were erected, fitted with great mirrors and signal fires to communicate with its neighbors. A permanent garrison of men and machines were stationed, and the remainder pressed on. As they pressed westward, the resistance stiffened, and more manpower was called for. From his headquarters in Penrigan, Urza was finally forced to weaken the passes in order to supply the main assault. In addition, the Lord Protector hired mercenary units, promising plunder when Tomokul fell. The Corlysians were nervous about the decision to offer Tomokul to the sword, but since most of the mercenaries were theirs, they abided by it. By this time, Taunus was leading the army westward, though officially in a capacity advisory to General Sharaman. Taunus knew the strengths and weaknesses of his machines, and the general trusted Taunus's judgment sufficiently to translate the Master Scholar's advice into orders. They were within sight of the great golden domes of Tomokul when everything fell apart. Balaji cavalry had struck along the length of the supply line throughout the march, and on several occasions had taken a tower, forcing part of the army to double back to re-establish their lines of communications. At first, the attacks had been sporadic, but now they were almost continual. Indeed, Taunus blamed their defeat in part on the regular nature of those attacks. The Argivans had been immured to continual raiding, and as a result, they did not realize the nature of the assaults had changed. Taunus also blamed the defeat on lack of adequate information. Saren's capital had fallen as they pressed west after years of siege, and no one told the Argivian force. Most of the Sarenthinian countryside was still in revolt, but the nation's great walled city had finally fallen, and troops previously tied down in siege were now flooding south, bearing down on Taunus's column. Urza had taken too long to arrive at Tomokul, and Misha now had the opportunity to respond in force. First were the dragon engines. Misha had lashed together at least a dozen, most of them clanking imitations, plus two of the ones that had level Krug. These moved like panthers and struck without mercy. There was also a new type, one that could fly, and it scattered the ornithopters like sparrows before a hawk. Then there were the transmogrants, zombie-like beings that had once been men, but now were shambling engines of destruction. These bunched up against their assailants, and Taunus's clay statues were slaughtered in droves. The transmogrants had been taught to pull the clay from their statues' forms, like ants cleaning a carcass. The amorphous clay had not the chance to regather itself. Neither did the Argivian army. From its position farthest forward, it was driven back to post after post, retreating, fighting, then retreating again. Word arrived that new Corlysian mercenaries were coming up the line, bringing with them the mechanical garrisons from the previous towers. The reinforcements never materialized. Instead, the retreating Argivian forces found one of the towers in the hands of Mishra's cavalry, who had flanked the line of march and now bore down on the remains of Charlemagne's forces with Urza's own automatons. The field was covered in blood and resounded with the screams of the valiant and the dying. Taunus held his own for a short while, while surrounded by a pair of his clay statues. He formed one island of an archipelago of Argivian defenders, ringed by Falaji swordsmen and unliving opponents. The sky belonged to flying engines of destruction. There was an explosion, and darkness. He woke in the dark of the pit. He had been bruised badly, particularly around the face, but otherwise unharmed. He had now been conscious several days, by his own count, and except for an unspeaking guard, who slapped a bowl of gruel-thin porridge before him, there had been no visitors. There was a soft clicking noise as the shutter to the iron door slid open. A flash of dark eyes sparkled on the other side, and it slid back. When the door was open, Taunus winced at the brightness. Several figures stood in the doorway, silhouettes against the light beyond them. The foremost strode into the cell and removed her gloves. She wore spiked armor. Hello, duck, said Ashad. 
I hope you've enjoyed your quarters. It's not much, but it's better than you deserve. It's called an oubliette, she said, as two guards brought in furniture. It's apparently an old philosophy tradition from back when they took prisoners on a regular basis. A dimly lit cell, perfect for making personal enemies disappear. Tomakua's tunnel with them. We had to clear the bones out of this one so we could put you here. The skull was left as a reminder. Its owner starved here, ignored by the guards, and abandoned by her captors. The guards brought in a heavy chair with thick pillows for padding. Ashnot set herself gently down on the pillows. The guards placed a small table before her. The table had claw-like legs that gripped the rough stone floor. Ashnot tried to shake the table, and when it did not move, she nodded her approval. The table was fit with a single manacle. One of Tanos's hands, the right one, was freed of his wrist cuff and forced at dagger point through the table-mounted manacle, palm upward. The guards fastened the cuff shut with iron pins, and two of them left. One remained. There are those among the Flashy who want you dead, said Ashnod. They are fortunately outnumbered by the ones who want you to suffer a long time first. She pulled from her bag a circular device, looking like a flat plate, to which an odd set of struts and wires had been attached. She slid the plate forward, beneath Tonos's right hand. The remaining guard placed the dagger's edge against Tonos's throat as Ashnod attached small clamps to each of his fingertips. The clamps drew blood as they pricked his flesh. Tonos waited until the dagger had been withdrawn from his neck, then said, And which group do you represent? His lips felt like clumps from the earlier unknown beating. As always, I represent myself, the rare-haired woman said, throwing a knife-edged switch before her. Tonos convulsed as a charge of energy passed up his hand and into his body. He nearly fell from a stool, but his hand was firmly manacled to the table, and the table was firmly set on the floor. He twisted and turned as the current ran through his body. Ashnot tripped open the switch. It works, she said. Tonos gasped. What is... Ashnot replied. The Falashi have a number of traditional tortures. Rack, thumbscrew, and garrote. Misha had words his own version of the rack years ago, designed to cause maximum discomfort for minimum effort. This, she patted the device that had ensnared his hand, is a smaller version of my own rack. Like it? Love it, gasped Tonos. Fits you perfectly. Why don't you just kill me? That's one option, said Ashnod. One I don't want to be forced into. Ashnod, said Tonos. When you were our prisoner, we treated you well. Here's a hint, duck, said Ashnod. By Falaji standards, this is being treated well. Most of your compatriots have been killed. Misha doesn't even trust Yodian slaves anymore. He thinks Urza can read their minds at a distance. Misha wanted to deliver your head, pickled, to Mama Duck Urza. I talked him out of it. Said you had knowledge we could use. I won't tell you anything, spat Tanos. I know, said Ashnot calmly. But it was either this or the pickling jar. Why tell me this, growled Tanos, in hopes I'll tell you something useful? In part, said Ashnot. And with your friend listening, asked Tanos. Ashnot shook her head. Understanding Argyvin is considered to be a black mark in the Falaji armed forces these days. Watch. She turned to the guard and said clearly, I turned your father into a transmograte, and your grandfather and your brother too, because they were insufficient bedmates. The guard said nothing. Ashnot turned back. See? If I said the same thing in Falaji, he'd be after my blood. She turned to the guard and barked out a command in the desert language. The guard started to protest in the same tongue, 
and Ashdod shouted at him again. The guard hesitated, glowered at Thanos, then left the cell. The door swung shut behind him. The shutter opened briefly, then closed. Now you have to do me a favor, said Ashnod. I am at your disposal, said Thanos barely. My back is to the door, she said, and I figure our guards will be checking regularly on my progress with you. So when the shutter opens, give me the high sign, and I'll give you a little dose. Why would I do that, said Thanos. Because if you don't, I'll have to zap you randomly, just to keep up appearances, she said, and threw the knife switch again. Thanos' body stiffened as the charge roared up his arm. The secret word is traitor, okay? Easy to remember, said Thanos. Just stop doing that. Oh, come on, said Asha with a smile. This is nothing close to a lethal dose for a man your size and age. Trust me, I know. I believe you, said Thanos. Those transmogrants, the zombie men, they're yours, aren't they? What do you think? She said, smiling. They're horrible, said Thanos. Ashnod smiled, flickered for just a moment, and when it returned, there was a forced feeling about it. I thought you, if anyone, would understand. They were once living men, hissed Thanos. Emphasis on once, returned Ashnod. They were criminals, slaves, prisoners, people that were going to kill and leave out for the vultures anyway. I found a use for them. Traitor, snapped Thanos quickly. Ashnod threw the switch and another bolt of energy blasted through Taunus's arm and shoulder. It seemed to him that she left the switch closed for slightly longer than she needed to. When Taunus recovered, she continued. The desert only has two resources. The Thran relics are one, and Misha has gone as far as he can with them. The other is people. They're a resource, too. Taunus said nothing. I'm not afraid to get my hands dirty, said Ashan. Or bloody, added Taunus angrily. Her hand hovered over the switch then pulled back. We don't have all the wealth of the Eastern nations, she said defensively. We have to make do with what we have. You don't take care of what you have, said Thanos. When Asha lifted him, confused, he said, You've stripped Yodia to the ground. Asha's eyes lowered. Yes, that. I argued against that too. But Misha overruled me there. That ever happened with Urza? Thanos hesitated for a moment, then nodded. More often than I want to think about. Why was it a bad idea? Didn't I just agree with you? Asked Ashnod. Yes, said Thanos. But I probably won't like your reason why. Because it's a waste of resources, said Ashnod. A material and manpower we might have held and used later. Thought as much, said Thanos. Traitor! Another flip of the switch, though this one not as long as previously. Nevertheless, Thanos was sure that his heart had Samurai in its beating in the middle of the jolt. But you were overruled, continued Thanos, when he could breathe again. Uh-huh, said Ashad. Misha's been putting distance between the two of us for years now. He wants my transmogrants, my battle armor, and my other creations, but he doesn't want to be seen as depending on me. It's a sign of weakness among the Falaji, and even after all these years, he depends on their support. The other chieftains, said Thanos. Guessing whom she meant. And others, returned Ashan. He has an aide from way back who's like his second shadow. And then there's the Gixians. They would just love to go pawing through my notes. Gixians? inquired Thanos. The Brotherhood of Geeks? Machine worshippers? Yeah, grinned Ashan. Nasty little creatures, 
They're in the Argivian court as well, said Tanos. You're spies? Ashad shrugged. Don't know. They may be playing both sides against the center. I don't trust them. Nor I, agreed Tanos. Less now that I know that they're working with Urza's brother as well. Traitors. Another throw of the knife switch, and Tanos yelped. Finally, he said, I don't know if I could take much more of this. Agreed, said Ashad. And we've spent long enough for me to claim you'll be a very hard nut to crack. Loyal unto death to Mamaduk, Urza, and all that. So they'll kill me now, spat Tanos. Was that what all this was? One last chance to taunt me? One last chance to see if you're as smart as I am, said Ashad sharply. And one more chance to embarrass the others on whom Mishra depends so heavily. If everything goes well, a chance to have you owe me a favor. A girl can never be owed too many favors. I don't understand you, said Tanos. You will, said Ashad, if you're as smart as I think you are. For now, this discussion is over. She flipped the switch again, and the pain radiated through Tanos' body, until finally, the darkness swallowed him. Tanos did not know how long she kept the charge going, but by the time he recovered, the guards were back in the room, and he had been freed from the table and its device. His right hand was a tight ball of pain as they refastened his original chains. But you didn't ask anything, he gasped, about the artifacts. Ashan knelt beside him and hissed. I don't need to ask anything. We have the remains of your precious artifacts. They will tell me more about Urza and you than a year and a day of torture would. Then she was gone, and the room was in darkness again. For a long time, he sat in the shadows, slowing his racing heart and his labored breathing. Once, the shutter in the door opened, then shut again after an unseen watcher determined Ashnot had not killed him. Tano slowly opened his hand. Clenched tightly in his palm were two of Ashnot's earrings and a spool of golden wire. The gemstones in the earrings glowed with their own internal light. She wanted him to prove he was as smart as she was, he thought. Tanos allowed himself a smile and crawled over to the skull that had been left in his cell. Ashnot was summoned to Misha's court in the palace of the old Pasha of Tomakul. It was a month after her discussion with Tanos, and three days after she filed a final report on Tanos' artifacts. There were definitely some design components she would incorporate into her own work. She did not find Mitra at his workbench. Instead, he was seated on the former Pasha's throne, patting his fingertips together. Slowly, Ashan had been surprised by Mitra's appearance when she first returned to Sarenth. The man had let his waistline grow, and there were jowls beneath the silver-flecked beard. He was decked in his desert robes, billowing things that made him seem all the fatter. He had tucked into his belt the symbol of Serenth itself, a razor-sharp onk. The strain of the war was telling on him, thought Ashnod. He had been afraid of his brother's response for years, and when it finally came, he beat it back. Now he was afraid of the next assault. Beside the throne and slightly behind it was Hajar, trusty and silent as ever. On the other side was one of the Gixians, a repulsive priest with a hunchback and mismatched eyes. Ashnod knelt, then rose to hear Mishra's words. Tanos escaped his dungeon cell five nights ago, he said quietly. Ashnot frowned. Why was I not informed? She said hotly. Has he been found? Not yet, said Mishra. And no one told me? Snapped Ashnot. I might have aided the pursuit. Or hindered it, said the Gixian. Ashnot gave the priest a look that clearly showed she was sizing him up for the transmogrant tank. What do you mean? Mishra answered instead. An accusation has been made about your involvement in this matter. My? said Ashad, 
letting her voice trail off in astonishment. Who makes such wild accusations? Misha said nothing, but the Gixian priest laughed. It was a nervous, clicking chuckle. You did meet with the escaped prisoner, said Misha finally. Once, said Ashon hotly. Almost a month ago, on your orders, to ascertain whether he would break under the rack. I quickly determined that he would not, and left him there to rot. It was there in my report. Of course, said Misha smoothly, waving aside her comment and the report. The fact of the matter is, Tano's made to escape by means of a device similar to your own staff. Pardon? Ashan wondered if she was acting sufficiently surprised by the news. A device that weakened his guard, continued Misha. A device that allowed him to immobilize a patrol that almost snared him. A device similar to that which you have used against me once before, at the walls of Zegon. This proves nothing, said Ashad, then took a deep breath. I was relieved of my own staff when I was captured in Krug. Tarnos could have examined it, and then prepared himself in the eventuality of capture. It is not my fault if your guards did not search him sufficiently. And your conversation, said Misha, ignoring her words. Very unusual interrogation technique. My methods have been suited to your needs before, said Ashnod, but she felt a cold chill run down her back. Had one of the guards been able to understand them? As if reading her mind, Misha said, While the guards spoke only Velaji to prevent them from communicating with the prisoner, they did have fairly good memories. Their recitation of the words proved interesting. They did not understand any of the words, so the translation was garbled, but they paid special attention whenever you mentioned my name. The cold chill became a winter blast. Ashnod said, If you do not trust me, Master, next time send along a guard who speaks the prisoner's language. I am sure there were mistakes in what they heard and reported to you. I would be inclined to believe you, said Misha, if it were not for one last piece of evidence. Priest, if you please. The Gixian chuckled and held out his hand. In his palm were the setting to a pair of earrings. The gemstones had been removed. Found them in the sewers beneath the cell, said the priest, with a giggle. Amazing what people lose, said Ashnot coldly. Indeed, said Misha, looking over Ashnot's shoulder. They look similar to a set that I've seen you wear, except those are now missing, and these are missing the power stones that would have been at the centers. Ashnot opened her mouth and shut it. Misha's mind had been made up before Ashnot arrived at the door, and he paid not the slightest heed to anything she had said. Even were she innocent of the accusations, the circumstances damned her, and she was not innocent. My lord, she said, switching tactics. Were you aware there are members of the Brotherhood of Geeks in Urza's court? Misha's face was calm, but there was the barest twitch of his lips at the mention of his brother's name. Instead, he said, You know that from your interrogation of my brother's student? Yes, said Ashnod. Was it in your original port of the interrogation? asked Mishra, his eyes narrowing. Ashan realized her mistake. While claiming her honesty and innocence, she had revealed there were things she had not reported. She kept her face emotionless and said, I did not want to make wild accusations, she nodded at the priest, without proof. And do you have proof? said Mishra. I was waiting for confirmation from other sources, said Ashan, but thought you had best know of it now. I know of it, said Mishra. Because the good priest here has informed me of the situation, which you had not, you made their case for them. Ashnod grasped at straws. Surely I'm not to be singled out because of a prisoner's escape. 
You are not, said Misha shortly. There are the guards, said Ashnod. They are already dead, said Misha, at my command. Ashnod paused for a moment. I see. And my fate? She looked at Misha and thought she saw his face soften, but only for an instant. You are banished. Most revered one, I... Started Ashnod. Banished, said Misha, slightly louder. The priest giggled and rubbed his hands together. Yes, Ashnod thought bitterly. The Gixians had their paws in this from start to finish. Urzan would not treat his apprentice so shabbily, said Ashnod hotly. As soon as the words left her lips, she knew they were a mistake. Misha's face burst into an emotional storm. What my brother would or would not do is no concern of yours, he thundered. Ashnod felt the force of the words like hammer blows. Misha leaned back in his chair. The momentary storm had abated, but the fire was still in his eyes. You are banished from this court and from the Falaji Empire. Leave now. If you are found anywhere within my lands after sunup, you will be put to death. Slowly. Am I clear? Ashnod looked into Misha's face, then nodded. As glass, she said. She bowed low and retreated from the throne room. She stormed through the halls, making for her quarters. No, she realized. The rest of the Brotherhood was already there, going through her notes and books, stripping her lap of her personal discoveries, looting her possessions. They would like nothing better than to delay her, than to claim Misha's orders as a chance to get rid of her once and for all. Instead, she went to the stables and took her favorite horse, the black charger that had carried her from the battlefield in Corliss. She took only the clothes on her back and the knowledge in her mind. That would have to be enough. She rode out of the Pasha's royal complex and reined the horse in. The street led east and west, east to Argive, a road most likely watched, or west to the unknown. She pulled the horse's reins and began the long trek to the west, to Teresia City and the lands outside either brother's control. The guard at the gate noted her decision and informed the priest of Gix, who asked him to keep an eye out. The priest reported it to his superior, who whispered it to Mishra. Mishra merely nodded and began to plan the next campaign of his glorious empire.